Hey, um, so uh, so good to uh, so good to be here tonight, and uh, so grateful, um, uh, so grateful to God to uh, to get to to do this. And um, I, I so I've been obviously been thinking about 2020, and uh, it's kind of like I don't, I don't know why it just feels like a I don't know why it feels like a significant uh, year. And then uh, a lot of people that I've talked to kind of have have mentioned um, 2020 feeling like a significant year. So I, do you know the feeling? Um, do you know the feeling you get like right before you go on vacation, uh, where you're like super, you're super excited about vacation? So you're like, no, I don't go on vacation, man. I just work. No, so you, but you should. Uh, but you, anybody know that feeling? Like you kind of got everything uh, kind of organized and planned, and in vacations like in front of you, and you kind of have this like eager anticipation and expectation for uh, for vacation, and you're like, if I can just get there, um, if I can just get there. Then, then it's going to be a really enjoyable thing. That's kind of the way I've been feeling uh, about 2020 and just kind of thinking about um, this year, uh, specifically kind of in the, life, uh, in the life of our church and um, uh, because we're such a young church. And so uh, for me, um, like getting into 2020 uh, and specifically as we think about the next five weeks and a lot of what we're going to be talking about is just kind of a really significant thing uh, for, um, for the life of our church. And, and so... Um, if, you, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2 uh, is where we're going to be at. And I, I want to share a little bit about um, uh, so we're, uh, a place for you and uh, essentially looking at what does it mean to be um, connected in community, what, what's the, the value um, in, in being community with one another, in gathering, um, what, what value are the gift set that God's given you and the resources that he's given you, and uh, how, how do we use all of these things in such a way uh, that would be honoring to God and glorifying to God, but also ultimately um, for your good. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be kind of, kind of processing that out. But before I get into that, I want to share a little bit about uh, just kind of some of my story. Um, one of the reasons that I, I love the local church, why I'm so committed to uh, the local church. And, and so I, I grew up um, uh, kind of sporadically going to church. We, we weren't like a consistent kind of ch- uh, church family. Uh, we, were, we were there some, and then we were there at Christmas and Easter for sure, because that's what you did. And, and, and so we were just kind of a, a bit sporadic uh, growing up. And then when I was eight years old, um, I was eight years old. My dad was 35. And so it's kind of a, like I'm 35 and my daughter's eight. So I kind of see these ages right now um, in my head. But when I was eight years old, uh, my dad at 35 had a stroke. And so uh, very kind of a uh, sudden thing uh, to happen to him. And so uh, our world, uh, my, my family's world was like thrown into, um, thrown into kind of chaos. And so I have one older brother. He's about three and a half years older than me. And, uh, and so luckily my dad didn't die, but he, he uh, walks with a limp and can't use his left arm. And so um, he was, has, has been uh, that way since I was eight years old. And so our, our family dynamic drastically changed as an eight-year-old kid. Um, went from uh, just kind of a, a, a two-parent household um, with an older brother uh, to, to just being a drastically different situation. And, and so my dad, what, what ended up happening is uh, my dad started working uh, for, a, uh, uh, for a guy because he's like, I'm not going to not, you know, work. And so he like kind of got back uh, on his feet and began to do stuff. And, and he had a, a, a great boss that invited us to a church in the, the city that we were living in. Uh, it's called Friendship Baptist Church, and the tagline was more than a name. All right, so, uh, so he, we got invited to this church, uh, and so I was in eighth grade. We started going when I was in eighth grade, and, and so 
um, just started going to this, this church. And one of the things that, um, and this is, this is like hardwired into me, into my background. And one of the reasons why um, I'm, I'm so passionate uh, about uh, the church and I'm so passionate about um, what, what the church can do. Uh, because as a, as a kid um, whose, whose world was radically changed when he was eight, started going in the eighth grade to this kind of that small, kind of rural, kind of country church uh, we were at in Georgia. And I really saw, um, really saw this church like love our family really well. And they began to take care of, uh, of our family and they began to invest in us and um, begin to invest in my brother and I, take care of my mom and dad. And so it was this really, now I wasn't, I wasn't an eight-year-old thinking, you know, like critically thinking about what was happening as, a, as, a, as an eighth, or as an eighth grader. I was like critically going, wow, this church is authentically and genuinely loving my family well. You know, that's not what, I, not what was happening. But as I look back and thinking about my background, I'm like, wow, what, what I saw and what God kind of birthed in me um, as, as a 14-year-old kid uh, was seeing a local church um, love a family really well. I saw, I saw the, the power of the gospel and the power of the way of Jesus um, in, a, in a very practical way at a very young age. And it's always, it's always shaped me in a really profound way. And so uh, I, I want to kind of, as, as we're thinking about this, this idea of church and kind of a, what does it mean to, to be a local church and how do we um, operate um, as a local church, I want to kind of kick back and just look at, in Acts chapter 2, kind of like how we got to, how we got to where we are, right? Because it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, Jesus did ministry for three years. This is what the scripture uh, tells us. He, for three years, he's doing ministry, and he's kind of gathering a crowd, and, and he's got um, kind of people in the outskirts and not necessarily the, the solid leaders that you would think to, to build a movement with. And so he started from there, and then we've gotten to this place uh, where now there's, there's an established movement and, and established um, groupings of, of churches all across the world. And so it's like, how did we, how did we get there? And so um, Acts chapter 2 is, uh, is where we're going to be at, starting in verse 14. So if you have a Bible or um, uh, you can turn there as well, it'll also be um, on the screen behind me. So let me get you caught up to where we are. So um, Acts uh, the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so a lot of ways, the book of Acts, you could call Luke part two uh, in a lot of ways. And they call it uh, the book of Acts because it was the, uh, what we consider the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Early Church. I would probably say it's more the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles uh, and through the Early Church. Uh, but that's why it's called uh, the book of Acts because we begin to see this movement play out. And so Jesus in chapter one, uh, he's gathered them and said, hey, uh, I'm going to go away. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. There's this just kind of crazy, supernatural um, experience happens where the Holy Spirit comes down uh, on these men and women in this crowd. And as you can imagine, in the public, it freaked everyone out. This is, this is Acts chapter two, beginning of Acts chapter two, just freaked them out. And, and so people are beginning to kind of speculate on what's happening. So a guy named Peter, uh, leader of one of the early um, churches and uh, was, a, was a disciple of Jesus, uh, is going to address what, what we call Pentecost. And so Acts chapter 2, beginning of Acts chapter 2, uh, he's going to address what just happened, like what they just saw in that moment. And, and in a lot of ways, this is the birthing of the church. So here, here we go, verse 14. Uh, it says this. It says, Peter stood up with the eleven, uh, and he raised his voice and proclaimed to them, 
fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, uh, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my word. Uh, I, this is hilarious to me in 15. It says, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning, right? So it makes me, it makes me laugh because I'm like, uh, so if it was later in the day, is that like, is that a, you know, I'm like, his, his reasoning is like, it's nine, so they're not drunk. You know, maybe later, but not right now, right? So he says, no, no. So you can tell by what Peter's saying in this moment, people thought they were crazy. People thought they were acting uh, insane. And so he's like, no, no, no. Uh, it's, it's only nine uh, in the morning, uh, verse 16. He says, on the contrary, um, what was spoken through uh, the prophet Joel. Now, he's going to go into, I, I'm not going to get into to all of it there, but he, he basically is going to say, man, the Spirit's going to be poured out on God's people. Um, men and women and, and uh, male and female are going to prophesy. They're going to have dreams. They're going to have visions. He, he's saying, man, in the last days, uh, what, what the Scripture tells us, the Old Testament tells us, is that God's Spirit is going to pour out on the people. And it's going to be an incredible an unbelievable, incredible experience, right? Now, the last days for them, I mean, really from when Jesus left to where we are is, is the last days. And so he, he explains this, this prophecy uh, in Joel, and then we'll pick back up uh, in verse um, 21 because he, he explains some miraculous things. And then he says to them, um, uh, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, so he says these visions are going to happen, um, all this kind of stuff is going to go on. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. So he's going to give the gospel here. This is it. This is just, the, the, just straight up as clear of a gospel kind of presentation, who Jesus was and what he did. Um, this is what he says. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. So he's like, you saw him do these things. Like, you know Jesus was that he, who he said that he was because he, he was doing miracles, incredible things, raising people from the dead, healing people, just incredible stuff. And so he said, you, you saw these things, um, all these things you saw, verse, uh, verse 23. It says, though... He was delivered up according to God's determined plan. And for knowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. Okay, so, uh, so kind of gospel story, good news story. Part one is that Jesus came, and what the Bible tells us is that he was, that he was nailed to the cross. This sinless, blameless Son of God nailed to the cross. And so Peter is, is recognizing this in his moment. He's saying, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and to kill him. Verse 24, it says, God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Let me read again because I feel, I feel like there should be a response there. Right? So I'm going to read it again. Let's, we'll go back and let's redo. Like I didn't read it that time. And then I'm going to read it again. Because I feel like with God's people, there should, should be a response. So let's, we'll try it again. So nailed him to a cross and killed him. Verse 24. I don't know if you've heard this verse before. But it says, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible 
for him to be held by death. Yeah, that's good news. Um, and, and so what Peter says is, you killed him. You used lawless men to kill the perfect son of God. But then he says, that's part one. Part two of the gospel, part two of the good news is was what? That death couldn't hold him. That it, that it, that it was actually what he's going to go on to say is that it was actually a part of God's plan. That this is, everything is actually in line with God's plan. His sovereign plan was his son would come, his son would experience death on the cross, and that death would not keep him there. And he, and he says, he says, God raised him up and, and ended the pains of death. And then he gets into, in verse 25, he says, for David says to him, I saw the Lord before him. So then he's he kicking back again to a, another uh, prophecy, and, and he begins kind of fleshing these things out. But let's kick down to... Um, let's kick down uh, to 32 because we don't have a ton of time um, tonight. So in 32, uh, then this is what it says. Uh, and this deserves a response as well. It says, God has, God has raised this Jesus. And we are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty. This is it. He says, therefore, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Messiah. So, so this, is, this is what Peter does. Pentecost comes down, right? And it's chaos and confusion among the city. So much so where they're like, God, all these people are drunk, right? They're like trying to figure this out. And Peter goes, no, no, no. God's been saying this would happen. God's been saying the Holy Spirit would come upon him. The, the way that we've gotten to this place is, is the Son of God has, has died on the cross and then, and then rose again. So he gives an, a, a gospel, like this is a, a gospel sermon is what he does here in this moment. This is, this is um, God's, uh, essentially he's saying this is revelation. This is what God did. This is revelation. This is what he did. Now, now look, at their, look at their response in verse 37. It says, when they heard this, uh, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Which is the appropriate response when hearing this. They're like, what do we, okay, what do we do? So he says, what do we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Um, each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for who all are, um, and all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. Verse 41. So those, here it is. Here's the the birthing of the church. It says, So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day were about 3,000 people added to them. So Peter gives a sermon. 3,000 people in that moment are cut to the heart and, and respond in, in, in saving grace. 
and say, I, I, I want to, to be a part of that. So, so here's what we have. So we have revelation from God. What did God do? Uh, and, then, uh, and then we have response from the people. They're like, okay, if that's what God did, now what are we to do? And so he says, accept the message. And they said, okay, message accepted. I got it. Message accepted. So then what happens? So we get to verse 42. And, and here's the thing, right? Here's what we see in Acts chapter 2. Um, and, and this is the truth. And, and this is kind of um, the, like the main thought that I want us to lay on tonight. And then we'll, we'll flesh out for a bit. So, so church formation, what we're doing right now. Right? What we're doing, what people are doing throughout the city, and what people are doing all throughout the world. Um, church formation followed gospel proclamation. So, so the, gospel being, uh, the gospel being proclaimed is what ultimately brought about the formation of the church. That's what happened. Um, we, we, just had, uh, we just had New Year's Eve, right? So we actually stayed up. This is the first time we've stayed up all the way till midnight uh, this year. And so we were pretty uh, proud of ourselves. I was getting super ill. Uh, but, but we did it. And, uh, and we let our daughter stay up till midnight. She's eight years old, so it feels like a rite of passage, right? And so we pass the champagne around. Um, and so anyways, I'm just kidding. And, um, and, and so uh, one of the things you love about New Year's Eve uh, is, is you got like the fireworks and it's like a, um, it's like a big deal, right? And, uh, and so uh, imagine, think about this. Let me give you an illustration. As we think about this church formation following gospel proclamation, uh, imagine I... Um, Imagine I went to the store and I, I got some fireworks because that's what guys do. And I, and I get the biggest fireworks they have because that's what guys do. And, and so imagine I took all, all the fireworks and kind of laid them out. and like, hey, I know that we're a little past. Um, I know we're a little past New Year's Eve, but I thought let's celebrate tonight uh, together as a church. So we're going to light these things up. Probably going to bring the house down literally in here. But imagine I, I line them up, right, and, uh, and just kind of laid them out. No, let's say we went outside. So we went outside because we care about this church. And so we went outside, and I gathered everybody up, and we're all outside, and, and I lay the, the fireworks down. I've twisted them all together, right, because you want to light one time and then run, right? You, you don't need to light and then hang out. So we've tied them all together. So then they're there, and, and, and they're, they're in that place. Uh, and, and so they're all together. Everyone backs up in that moment. And we're all just like, all right. So I back out of there, right? And we're just like, yeah. You know? Like, look at this. Look at this. It's amazing. Everybody be like, hey, bro, are you going to light those? Like, this doesn't, like, this is great, but uh, are you going to, are you, right? What the, the key, the key to the firework, right? You, you, you got to like bend down like the thing, because there's, um, there's a lot of potential in the fireworks, but without lighting the fireworks, there's really no, like there's no experience that we're all going to enjoy. And so what we kind of, we're seeing happening a lot of ways in the Old Testament is you had a lot of um, potential for uh, community and potential for movement and potential for um, a lot of change to happen. But really what, what, what really needed to happen is the gospel was like the, the igniter to the potential that would light this kind of movement forward. This is, this is, what, we, this is what we see Peter do in this moment uh, because it was kind of a little bit chaotic and then he brought the gospel and the gospel proclamation brought the church formation. And so, um, so we, get into, um, we get into 42, um, Acts 2, 42. 
here, and, and I, love, um, I love what happens here. It says this. It says, they devoted themselves um, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Um, verse 43. Maybe my favorite verse of, um, of the whole section. It says, um, everyone was filled with awe. Right? Some translations say um, every, uh, everyone's filled with fear. And, and I read that and I think, man, what would it be like um, to be a part of a church when you're, when you're in that community of believers to every, for, for everyone to be filled with awe? So, so it's like when we come into this space, it's, it's not, you know, because we're all carrying stuff when we come in. Like that's our reality. We're all carrying stuff. But, but man, I, I just think, like, what would it look like um, to, to be uh, a part of a church and to be with other um, believers uh, in the city of Boston and to be a church where it's like, I don't know, man. Like, there, I, can't fully, I can't fully explain it. But there's something about being in that place where I feel like I'm in the presence of God. And it says every, everyone was filled with awe. And then, it, then it, keeps, uh, it keeps going. It says, And many wonders and signs were being um, performed through the apostles. Verse 44. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. Uh, they sold, this part scares me, uh, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Um, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. Uh, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So, so here's what happened. Um, here's what happened in the moment. They heard the gospel. They, they, they heard the revelation of God. We see their response. And then what, what we see happen in the, the few verses that we just looked at is they, they reformed their life around the truth that the gospel said about them and about God and about the world around them. Because, right? The, the love of God so, was so um, compelling and captivating to them that, that they received it and then said, okay, if I've received Christ, if I've said yes to this gospel, then, then this has to affect how I live. They've, re, they've reformed their life now. I mean, that, and, and this, happens, um, this happens all the time. So uh, Kay and I have been married 12 years. Um, what happens when you get married? You, you reform your life around the other spouse, right? I, I, I have no innate desire to walk around home goods. I don't. You know, like it's just, I, Right? I, it's not something inside of me that, that just loves to do that, right? I don't have innate desire to, to watch I Love Lucy, you know, or any of these things. I, I mean, I love I Love but like, you know what I'm saying? I, why, why do I, like, why do I do these things? Because I love my wife. Like, I've, I've reformed my life, you know? I never said to my bros, hey, guys, you want to go walk around Home Goods together, you know? pick out a wicker basket? Like, that's not a thing. Like, that's not a, I mean, if that's you, that's cool. But that just wasn't for me. You know, that wasn't my thing. We didn't sit down and cut on house hunters. And so I, like, but I do that now because I love my wife. I've reformed 
my habits and the way I live around what brings her joy and satisfaction because of my love for her. This is, this is what we see the early church do. A couple of, couple of thoughts here, and they'll be on the screen. Um, what characterized the early church? Here, here's four things that characterized the early church that we, we start to see happen as they, as they accept the gospel. Um, they practice radical devotion, not casual indifference. They begin practicing radical devotion, not casual indifference. So for them, they said, if this thing is real and true, this, this means radical devotion and not casual indifference to what God has said. This is what moved them and, and, and propelled them. Right? It says they were devoted to what? To the, to the word of God and to one another. Radical, um, radical devotion, not casual indifference. What's the second thing that we see? Uh, we see um, that they were practicing heartfelt affection, not bored formality. They weren't just following, um, they weren't just following the rhythm, right? Like there wasn't, the early church, it wasn't like, okay, what's the movements? You know, I've got to grow up in church. So we were, you know, they weren't just following the, the kind of just the normal form that they were used to. It was like, okay, I go in, I grab the thing, I say the thing, I do the thing, I raise the hands, I sit down, I stand up, I move, you know, I take the bread, I take the cup, I do it. You know, like for them, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just this like formal uh, kind of process that they were doing. It was, about a, it was about a heartfelt affection for God that it transformed them. I mean, they were, they were like it, it says everyone was filled with awe. That's not, that's not a formal process. That, that's my, what I want, like my dream, right, is, is when you come in the doors, it's not this like me- mechanical kind of process that, that has been like hardwired into you and what you've gotten used to. Like the idea is kind of walking in with this idea of going, God, I want to hear from you tonight. Like you, you know the stuff I've got carrying, you know the stuff on my mind right now. Like, I want, to, I want to experience you in a real genuine way tonight. Like, I, I want to, I, I need to leave experiencing you tonight. Because I, I got the week ahead of me. Like, I, I, I know I'm walking in relationship with you. Like, I, and we're going to talk about ways to be connected. But it's like, I need this before I walk into my week. I need to experience you. And so there was a heartfelt um, affection. Third thing that we see, we see sacrificial generosity, not selfish ambition. The, one of the most marking things, and we, we talked about this uh, one week, but Tim Keller says that one of the most marking things about the early church was uh, that they were, were so generous with their money, but not generous with their bodies. And he said that was so counterculture that when the church kind of uh, when the church was, was birthed and really came up, really the, the culture and the movement of the culture was don't be generous with your money, but be generous with your body, right? Be, be, uh, be, be sexually uh, active, but, but hold your money tight. And when he said the church, what the, the radical thing that the church is, he said it flipped on its head. He said, man, they weren't sharing their body with anybody, but they were sharing their resources with everyone. 
And, and so it says they, um, again, right? Listen, they had captured a, a large personal vision of God for them, for their, themselves, right? They had, they, had, um, they had experienced, they had seen something that was marking for them that, that seemed to almost probably frighten them. When they, they saw these people speaking um, in, in, in other languages and, and like they saw that and it, so they're like, they had a, a strong personal vision of God, but it did not affect their love for neighbor. Like they still got it. They still understood that, okay, I need to, I need to practice sacrificial generosity. I need to do that. I need to, I need to, I need to be, I need to be generous. Uh, I was at something, um, I was at something this week, and um, and uh, there were some guys talking at a at a party I was at, and uh, they were talking about giving and, and stuff like that, and, and it was fascinating. Um, you know, some some people are like radical. You know, some people are are, are, are generous. A, a lot of people aren't. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, they're just not. And, uh, and so it was interesting. Like, listen, they're talking, and, and uh, I'm not going to interject in that because, like, who the pastor doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, I, you just. But, but it was, they were just kind of talking about, um, uh, basically they were just saying like why they don't give, you know, why they're not generous. And, uh, and, and so I just thought, man, the, the church has a real opportunity um, to be a real generous people and it, and it not be to our benefit, you know? Like, I'm going to give not for a tax break, you know? Like, you can get that. But that's not my, you know, like that's most people's motivator. But it's like, no, no, I see needs around me. Um, I, I see that. And so we see the early church doing that in a really radical way. I don't think, I don't think when Luke's recording that, I don't think that's prescriptive. I don't think he's saying everyone has to do that. I think it's more descriptive. But I do think it should serve in a, in a way to sh- shock our system. Okay, so radical devotion, heartfelt affection, sacrificial generosity. And then I call it rampant joy. Um, not secluded groups. Um, rampant's typically used in a very negative way, uh, but I kind of like this idea of rampant joy, right? It just kind of, uh, it just kind of takes over. Um, and, and so uh, we, we see that the, the Lord uh, begin to, to add to their number. This is what happens in Acts chapter 2. And I, and I don't think it was because um, everyone was standing around looking at the sky and waiting on an experience. Like, I think there was something about these people, this early church, that had such a, a, a sense of joy about them. Because think, think about that for a second. Think about what the gospel just said to them. It just said what? It said, you have purpose. You have value. Your culture doesn't define you, right? Your, your occupation doesn't define you. Your relationships don't define you. None of the things, right? Your socioeconomic status doesn't define you. I mean, the gospel began to spread rapidly uh, through, uh, through the lower class, right? These were the, in a lot of ways, these were the, the people that Jesus uh, began to, to reach, right? If anything, we started to get a bit, we started to get problems when it got to the, right? When it got to the upper class, and it was like government sanctioned, we actually started having problems at that moment, right? And so, so it just, the gospel just said, man, you have value. God loves you. you like, your, your value is not in other things. It's in what God says about you, and God's already determined what he thinks about you. And it cost him his son. So you have value. And so joy just, like, was birthed in them. And it was, it was rampant. 
And it wasn't secluded to cliques and groups. It was the church. And the Lord honored it and, and, and valued it, right? I, I would love to say, for no other reason, um, I'd love to say, and I don't know, you know, God's doing something. I don't know how to explain it. I, I, I think it's just the joy of our people. Like, they're just, you can't program, like, Acts 2, like, you can't program this. It's not about, like, you can't have events and, and, and great programs that are just going to, like, that. Anyway, so we see rampant joy, um, not, not secluded, um, not secluded groups. Uh, the thing that most sticks out to me as I was um, thinking about this in terms of up tonight, the thing that most sticks out to me about all the early characteristics of the church is all of these characteristics were played out in what? In community. None of these were in isolation. There, there wasn't, um, there wasn't uh, sacrificial generosity in isolation, right? It was like, I'm going to share with myself, you know? It wasn't, it wasn't rampant joy, you know, in isolation. It wasn't one guy, really joyful guy. You know, it wasn't a heartfelt affection where it says everyone was filled with awe. Like, all of these things are community. Uh, Radical devotion, right? It says they were devoted to God's word. And you're like, got it, Luke. But Luke doesn't let us off the the hook there because he says, devoted to God's word and to one another. All of these things that happen in Acts chapter 2 happen in community. It's why the church is important. You will not, let me say this really clear, and it's one of the reasons I'm passionate about planting a church in this city. You will not experience the fullness of the way of Jesus in isolation. It's impossible. You won't experience the fullness of the gospel in isolation, not connected to a church, not connected to other believers. It works against how scripture has taught us to operate as believers. Works against it. It, It's why I'm I'm passionate about, about saying, hey, there's one right here. Experience the fullness of the way of Jesus with other people. It's why this is valuable. It's why it's valuable for all of us. It's why we should be. It's why we should be doing this work, because we want others to experience the fullness of the way of Jesus. That's why it's worth it for us. Okay, so so we see this. So we see the gospel come forward, and then we see them reforming their lives. Um, in, in various ways throughout the gospel. So, so here's what I'm going to do tonight. Um, I, want, I want to talk specifically about um, 2020, a couple of things that we have coming up. So as I think about Grace City, as I think about how God's going to form us for the future of 2020, I want to talk about a few things in terms of that. And then the next four weeks, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, just on a broader sense, how God has formed and wired um, our particular uh, community. And so let me cover... Uh, let me cover these three things, how God's forming us as Grace City, and, uh, and then we'll be done tonight. And uh, these are just directions where I feel like the Holy Spirit's calling us, moving us to where God's moving us to. Uh, so here's number one, uh, direction that we're moving in. I, uh, for 2020, uh, want us to develop a really strong culture of prayer. Uh, I've been here um, officially in the city for two years now. So we moved January of, of 2018. Um, the number one thing that has become apparent to me 
as, as, I, as I'm in the city, um, as a believer, interacting with people, with neighbors, friends, wherever I'm at, professors, students, all over the place. Um, the number one thing that has, has become apparent to me is that nothing will happen here if God doesn't do it. And, and I, I can't control, here, here's the reality, none of us, um, none of us can control, like none of us control whether our neighbor uh, accepts the way of Jesus, accepts the gospel. You can't control if your neighbor does, you can't control your coworker, uh, your boss, your professor, your doormate, roommate, can't do it, can't do it. Uh, there's a lot of things I cannot control, but what I can do is pray. 100% I can pray. Like I can approach the throne of God and pray. Uh, one of the things that we see all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, the, I would say the most consistent practice all throughout the New Testament was prayer. All throughout, I mean, I, I went through the book of Acts. So um, uh, in Acts 4.31, they prayed and, and buildings shook and the Holy Spirit came down. Um, Acts 16, verse 25, they were praying when they were imprisoned. Acts 6, 6, uh, they're, they're praying when they're picking out leaders. Um, Acts 11, 5, they prayed and experienced visions all throughout. This is one of the things I noticed as I was studying. All throughout the book of Acts, anytime it says that God uh, gave someone a vision, and almost every time, what were they doing in that moment? They were praying. They are praying. Um, they prayed to raise a, a dead girl in Acts 9, 40. Um, in, in, in Paul's final act with the church at Ephesus, a church that he deeply loved in Acts 20, 36, his final, act, um, his final act with them is that he kneeled and prayed with them. He kneeled and prayed. like on, He's on his way out, not going to see them again, going to die. They know they're not going to see him again. And the one thing that he does on his way out is gets on his knees and prays with them. It's the most consistent practice of the early church. It just is. And so I'm like, Lord, man, you gotta teach us how to pray. You gotta teach us to be consistent prayers. And so we're gonna work in 2020 to develop a culture of prayer. A couple ways that we're gonna do that is uh, we have it, so at 3.15 on Sunday evenings, um, uh, we have a, a prayer ga gathering at 3.15 every Sunday evening. So from 3.15 to 3.45, uh, we call it the meeting before the meeting. And, uh, and so all that is, is, is we get together uh, and, and we have a, a process in which we're praying. We're praying scriptures together and, uh, and, and we're just, we're, we're asking God. It's not even necessarily just directed towards a Sunday night, uh, but, but we're, we're, we're praying. We're praying uh, towards God. We're praying for one another. We're praying for our world. And so that's from 3.15 to 3.45. And so we're, that's open now. Like we're opening that up and saying, let's, if you, if you want to get here, listen, come from 3.15 to 3.45, pray, and then go get a latte, right? And you, it's, you, it's great. And then you come back, right? Or stay and set up. All right. So uh, moving on. So from 3.15 to 3.45, uh, there's a pre-service prayer. Uh, we are in the process. We're working out all the logistics and details of it. I'm really excited about this, but we're in the process of working out a weekday prayer. So from 7, uh, from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., one day a week, uh, we're, we're going to have a, a, a prayer room where we're going to get together and pray. And, uh, and so 
it's just going to be here. So whoever shows up, um, we're going to sing some songs together, and then we're going to pray. And there, we're at least uh, once a week, uh, we're going to be here praying together for an hour, um, imploring God to save our city, to save our neighbors, and asking Him to do.